Today on Let the Bible Speak. The Bible record is full of miracles that really happened millennia ago. What is their purpose? And have we been given the power to perform such miracles today? And welcome to Let the Bible Speak. We're glad you've joined us for another study of God's Word. On last week's program, we talked about gifts of the Holy Spirit, such as the gifts of prophecy and knowledge and the gift of speaking in tongues. Another of those gifts, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 10, was the gift of working miracles. The apostles gave some in the early church this power. The word miracle is often misapplied and misused. Many things that appear extraordinary or very impressive are often thought of as miracles. Businesses even capitalize on the word by marketing products like Miracle Whip and Miracle Grow. And they of course mean that their product surpasses the ordinary run-of-the-mill product and can do something amazing. But I think we've lost sight of what a miracle really is. Let's read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and I'll begin reading in the 8th verse. Paul writes, Four to one is given by the Spirit, the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will." There's no question among Bible believers that many of the early Christians were able to perform miracles. But what made them miracles? And do those miracles still occur today? Can we work miracles like people of the early church did? We'll answer those questions in today's study that we'll call The Nature and Purpose of Miracles after a song from the congregation.
you ever seen a miracle take place? If so, what made you believe it was a miracle? What definition would you give for the word miracle? Perhaps you would say a miracle is a divine act or a working of God. Maybe it is anything you believe the hand of God to be involved in. Well, let's think about that for a moment. The hand of God is really involved in just about everything, either originally or directly. God, of course, created all things, and those things continue to exist because God wills it so. Nature is governed by a set of laws that God put in place when He created the world. So when we behold the beauty and the wonder of nature, we are, in a sense, seeing the hand of God at work. We're certainly seeing the handiwork of God. A beautiful tree or flower is a fascinating thing to behold. And it's nothing short of amazing to watch them become bare and dormant in the winter and suddenly come back to life in the spring, aflame with vibrant and thrilling colors. Or the birth of a child is an incredible process. I don't suppose there's a feeling in the world like holding your newborn baby in your arms for the first time. And then to watch them grow and mature, that's a thrilling experience. Well, both of those things are acts of God. The natural laws which allow them to take place must be the result of a divine power. And they are, for God framed the laws that allow and govern those things. However, neither one is what the Bible is talking about when it uses the word miracle. If you look the word miracle up in Webster's Dictionary, it means an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention in human affairs or an extremely outstanding, unusual event, thing, or accomplishment. Well, that sounds like a plausible definition, doesn't it? But the problem is Webster defines words according to their most modern usage and that doesn't do us a lot of good when we're studying a word used in a different language thousands of years ago. Rather, the Greek word that Bible writers use that we translate as miracle is a Greek word that means with uncertain affinity, to be able or possible. More simply put, it means something that cannot be explained by natural laws. Now, the birth of a child is a wonderful and thrilling thing, and we marvel when we see it occur, but it's part of a demonstrable law in God's creation, and it can be tested and repeated like other things that science can observe and describe and explain. The colorful petals of a rose are beautiful to behold, and to see a flower grow and bloom is amazing, but it's not a miracle. The creation in the beginning was indeed miraculous, but God sustains His creation by the means of natural laws that He ordained. Practicing medical science is not the same thing as performing a miracle. Oh, it might be aided by God's providence, but the techniques of medicine are based on the laws of science such as biology and chemistry and so forth, laws which God ordained. But it is not necessarily a miracle according to Scripture when a sick person gets better. The hand of God may providentially be involved, and we may not understand that, but a miracle is not necessarily involved as the Bible uses the word miracle. When we look closely at the miracles that are recorded in the Bible, we see a big difference between them and the things that people today claim to be miracles. Let's consider the miracles of Jesus. In John chapter 2, Jesus performed His first miracle at a wedding feast in Cana of Galilee when He changed water into wine. Now that was undoubtedly a miracle. There is not a single law of nature that would allow plain water to suddenly turn into wine. Christ superseded the laws of the universe when that took place. And then according to John chapter 5, Jesus healed a man at the pool of Bethesda who had been widely known as an invalid for 38 years. 
He didn't undergo an operation or intensive therapy. He didn't gradually get better over time. But rather, Jesus healed him instantly, and all who witnessed it would know beyond the shadow of a doubt that a miracle had taken place. It bewildered even the fiercest of Jesus' enemies. And in John chapter 6, we read where Jesus fed a throng of 5,000 hungry people with nothing but five loaves of bread and two small fish. You see, what Jesus did defies any natural explanation. It was supernatural. One time, Jesus immediately brought sight to the eyes of a man who had been blind all of his life. He, brought, he did that immediately. You know, a few years ago, I had a surgery that allowed me to see clearly. I had been dependent upon glasses for most of my life and could barely see my hand in front of my face. Within a few minutes, though, a small laser reshaped my eye and gave me 20-20 vision. I couldn't hardly believe it when I sat up a few minutes after the surgery and could read the clock on the wall all the way across the room. Now, that was several years ago, and age is now making me farsighted, and so the glasses eventually had to return. But that surgery at the time was impressive to me, but it wasn't a miracle. What Jesus did for that blind man long ago, however, defied medical or scientific explanation. It was supernatural. When Jesus spoke to the boisterous winds and waves of Lake Galilee and caused them to be still, that was a miracle. So was the time he came to his disciples in their boat, walking on the top of the water. But one of the greatest and most impressive of all miracles is the resurrection of the dead. Jesus' friend Lazarus died, you recall, and his loved ones went to find the Lord. John 11 tells us the story, and they said that they remonstrated that if Jesus had been there when Lazarus was sick, he wouldn't have died. But Jesus performed a much more impressive miracle than making a sick man well. Jesus went to the tomb of Lazarus four days after he had died. His body had already begun to decompose. But Jesus went to the tomb and called out his name, and that corpse wrapped in its grave clothes came walking out of that open tomb. Lazarus was alive. Now, preachers who claim the power to work miracles today should be able to do what Jesus and what his apostles did, shouldn't they? Jesus brought that body back to life, not as it lay upon an operating table. It wasn't as if Lazarus' heart had just stopped beating and Jesus resuscitated him. Lazarus had been dead for days, and his family couldn't imagine seeing him alive again, but Jesus raised him up. These are examples of miracles. They are manifestations of divine power that set aside the laws of nature and defy natural explanation. They are supernatural. I'm unashamed to confess to you that I believe with all of my heart that all of those things really happened just as the Bible says that they did. And I serve Christ today because I believe with all of my heart that He resurrected from the dead and ascended to heaven. And consequently, if I can believe in an omnipotent, all-powerful God, I can believe in the miracles of the Bible. And I do believe in the miracles of the Bible. I believe those things took place exactly as the Bible says they did, despite modernists and liberals who try to explain them away and discredit them by modern science. They can't be explained by science because that's what a miracle is. It's something that takes place by suspending or superseding natural law. Now, the claims of supposed miracle workers today don't match that definition. They claim to heal the sick, but their healing campaigns are always surrounded by a cloud of suspicion and doubt, and some of them have even been exposed through the years for using sleight-of-hand techniques to pick people out of the crowd to heal who really weren't that sick. 
Now there's also a vast difference over a Christian praying for a person who is ill, and the Bible tells us to do that, and that person recovering in the course of time, maybe a short amount of time, but they recover. There's a difference between that and on the other hand, a miracle like what occurred in the Bible. There's an interesting fact if you examine the Bible's record of miracles, and that is that no one ever seemed to dispute that what they saw was a miracle. I don't read where anyone ever tried to explain away the wonders that Jesus performed. Rather, the Pharisees, they had to resort to attributing the power of Christ to the devil in order to try to discredit him, according to Matthew, the 12th chapter, because they would have been made fools of had they denied that Jesus was performing miracles because it was obvious that he was. Thousands upon thousands had seen him do it. And there was no question. They, they were awestruck. It was a miracle and there was no doubt. And I contend that if people today were able to perform miracles like Christ and his apostles and others in the early church could do, there would be no question about that matter today either. No one would question are they working miracles. They might question why or how, but they wouldn't question are they working miracles. They would argue about where the power came from to do it, but they wouldn't argue that miracles were happening because that's the very nature of miracles. In fact, if miracles were not undeniable, then they would not serve their divine purpose, which leads us to the next portion of our study. Why were miracles performed in Bible times? And if we can answer that question, it will help us learn whether miracles still happen today. First, I want to say that no one in the Bible ever performed a miracle to be sensational or certainly to make money. Jesus did not solicit money from people in exchange for some kind of miracle. He didn't go around peddling prayer cloths and miracle water and anointing oil for money. The only thing these modern preachers are selling today is snake oil, and they ought to be ashamed of themselves for deceiving ignorant and vulnerable people like they do for their money and their trust. Second of all, though, the purpose of miracles was not primarily to show compassion. Now, don't misunderstand. Jesus certainly pitied those who suffered, and he was moved with compassion. His heart broke for those who were sick and downtrodden, and so should ours. But that wasn't the primary motivation for his miracles, because if it were, why wouldn't he miraculously heal every person who is sick or disabled? After Jesus, after all, Jesus loves all men. He's no respecter of persons, the Bible says. The purpose of the miracles that are recorded in the Bible is this, to prove that something had been spoken or revealed by God. Miracles have always been solely for the purpose of divine confirmation all through time. You go all the way back to the Old Testament. Moses was empowered to perform miracles to establish his authority over the Hebrew people and with the Egyptians, according to Exodus, the third and fourth chapters. According to 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah performed miracles to establish his authority as the prophet of the true God with Ahab and Jezebel and the people of Israel at Mount Carmel. When Jesus performed his first public miracle, John tells us, This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. John 2 and verse 11. When he raised Lazarus from the dead, he told the disciples that he purposefully did not go to see Lazarus when he was sick. He let him die. And he said in John 11 and verse 15, And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, to the intent ye may believe. 
In other words, he allowed Lazarus to die to provide the opportunity to work this great miracle in order to prove that he was the Son of God. And John concludes his gospel account by telling us, Truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So Jesus not only performed miracles to prove his own deity, he imparted that power to work miracles to his apostles and to some within the early church, as we pointed out last week, to prove that the word was being spoken, that was being spoken by them, was being provided to them by the Holy Spirit. It, th these were acts of confirmation. Listen to the Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. He says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Now it's an extraordinary thing for a man to claim that God has spoken to him, isn't it? A claim such as that would need some kind of corroborating evidence, wouldn't it? As goes the claim, so should go the demonstration. The apostles needed credentials to prove that they were vested with the authority of Christ and were speaking by inspiration of the Holy Spirit because it's not enough for anybody to just make a claim. Well, miracles or gifts of the Holy Spirit served as those credentials. In fact, in Mark 16, beginning in verse 14, the record tells us of the Great Commission. Afterward, Jesus appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart, underscore that, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. Notice who had not believed it up until that point. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them. Who? The disciples, those given the great commission. And confirming the word with signs following. Notice the disciples were guilty of not believing the reports of Christ's resurrection. Jesus rebukes them for their unbelief, and then he commissions them to go to the entire world to testify to them about the fact that Jesus was indeed the risen Christ. They were to preach the good news of salvation to every person they met, and Jesus says signs would follow those who believe. Who's he talking about when he says those who believe? Remember, these same disciples who were to go and tell others about the Lord were slow to believe the message they were to go preach. Jesus is promising the apostles the powerful credentials they would need to convince others that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and preaching the truth. The Holy Spirit would bear witness within them of the fact that they were speaking the words of God by allowing them to perform miracles. And as the early church received the revelation of the New Testament, those miracles and spiritual gifts were a critical part of that process. They showed that what they were receiving was truly the will of God. So do people have the same power to perform miracles today? Well, I re 
remind you of what we studied last week in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 through 13, where Paul taught that miraculous gifts of the Spirit would fulfill their purpose and cease at an appointed, at an appointed time. And if you missed our study last week, I hope that you'll go back and view it or request the transcript. Paul simply taught the Corinthians that the church was in a state of infancy when it was established and was in the process of maturing in its knowledge of Christ and the faith as the Holy Spirit was making those things known. But once the gospel was fully revealed, then the things pertaining to the infancy and development of the church would be placed in the past. When you build a building, you put up scaffolding to aid in the building process. When the building is finished, you don't leave the scaffolding set up. You take it away because it has served its purpose. And when the New Testament was completed, miracles had served their purpose of confirming that the gospel message was indeed the product of God and the work of the Holy Spirit. My friend, it is not a question. Does God have the power to perform miracles? Of course He does. God is omnipotent. And He is sovereign, and God can do as He pleases and as He chooses. That's not the question, does God have the power? The question is, does God in His sovereignty and in His will, does He give people today the power to perform miracles as He did those in the early church and at other times when He was giving new revelation? The Bible teaches that the New Testament is God's full and final revelation to man. That word was confirmed by the miracles that accompanied the giving of that revelation. The record of those miracles stands in the Word of God as a testament to the credibility of the Bible writers. And we have the Bible to read and obey today because of the work of the Holy Spirit within the apostles of Jesus. And we can place our trust in it because it was authenticated by the miracles that accompanied its revelation, showing that it could have come from no other source besides God. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on thy side.
to see today's study again? Watch Let the Bible Speak anytime, even on the go, on your computer, tablet, or smartphone. Go to letthebiblespeak.tv and also connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Connect with us on social media. Go to facebook.com and search for Let the Bible Speak TV. If you would like a free printed copy of our study today on miracles, we'll be happy to send it to you, and it's free of any cost whatsoever. We just need to hear from you. And uh, when you get in touch with us, ask for the lesson, The Nature and Purpose of Miracles, and uh, we'll get that transcript on its way. We never charge for anything we offer here on the program, and we hope you'll take advantage of this free offer. We also hope you'll find us online. Our website is ltbstv.org, and you'll find videos and transcripts there and other information, and also we're on social media. So be sure if you haven't, like our Facebook page and help us by sharing the sermons from week to week and, and giving them a like so that uh, it'll be seen by others. And also, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Every single program you see on the air is uploaded to YouTube, and you can follow us on that channel, and we hope you'll do just that. And if you'd like to listen on the go, you can subscribe to our podcast. Just go to whatever wherever you find your podcast and search for Let the Bible Speak TV and subscribe, and you'll never miss a program. You can listen anywhere at any time. So thank you for joining me today for the program. I hope that in the week ahead you'll tell someone else about our broadcast and make them familiar with it and encourage them to watch along with us next time we open up God's Word and study His Word. And I hope you have a good week in the meantime and that the Lord will bless you. Thanks for joining us. Have a great week. Let the Bible Speak is brought to you by The Church of Christ. For more information, including our past broadcast and sermon transcripts, visit ltbstv.org. Thanks for being with us today. Join us next time for Let the Bible Speak.